Welcome everyone, this is Stasha in Moving Mountains. Today I welcome writer Paul Donsbach, the co-author of The Knights of the Lost Temple, Book One, The Bronze Scroll. Paul is a Texas native and a lawyer raised in an era when those working for social progress were rooted in religious faith. He believes that many of today's problems likewise require a renewed commitment to spiritual ideals. Today we will take a look into the adventurous romantic novel that he has co-written. Welcome, Paul, to Moving Mountains. Thank you, Sasha. I'm very happy to be here. Today we're celebrating your adventure romance novel, Knights of the Lost Temple, book one, The Bronze Scroll. How it come about? Well, um, I'm an attorney and I've wanted to write for, for quite a while. Um, and it really comes out of the work that, that I do. And I think it's much like anyone's job. Um, you learn that really everything is about values and spirit. Um, that, you know, we're, we're out in the world making decisions and doing things and it really you 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 figure out that you've got to be grounded in what what is the meaning of what we're doing and and what's important the other thing that i think i've learned is that the truth is knowable um it's you know what a lawyer does and what judges and juries do and you so you get an optimism about your ability and and uh, work especially working as a team to figure things out so I got really interested in writing a book, and um, that's, that's what came next. Uh, given your experience, you also partnered with a co-author, Alia Sina. For those listening, how did that partnership come about, and what was the experience like? Because it's two minds coming together and collaborating. It's been wonderful, and uh, we met through a writer's workshop, and we were both really skeptical about this. There was, there was a moderator that, that put this thing together, and she saw that, that we had some common uh, interests and thought we should talk about doing something together. We were both working on a, on a novel ourselves. And um, Aaliyah's, she, uh, really interesting, she comes from a, 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 what she calls a New Age uh, uh, Islam background. Um, her parents are uh, originally from Afghanistan, so she grew up in, a, in an Afghan-American household. Um, and she's very much a believer in miracles and uh, you know, the, the, that side of life. And I uh, come from a place of belief in logic and reason and science and grew up in a Christian uh, household. And um, so with all those differences, we found that we really do work well together. We, we all had you know, some tough experiences in college with, with group projects, but, but this has really been magical. And, and it, we, our differences are really what makes it work so well. It's so interesting to see how that, that plays out. You touch upon the concept of the truth. Is it possible that five people could have five different truths, or is there an expectation that the truth could be something that is a fixed variable in life? That's what I find so interesting. So you always find when you're in trial that everyone disagrees about the facts. Everyone's got a different memory about exactly what happened. But that's not what the truth is really about. The truth is about meaning. 
and it might be fault or, or what's, what's a priority here, um, basically comes down to values. And those are things that we're well equipped to figure out. And we're not always going to agree, but you can really delve into what are those disagreements about? Is it more, are we emphasizing um, freedom, individualism, or the rights of the community? And you can have a very good discussion around those things. And those are the things that are knowable. And that's essentially what we do in, in our communities is we um, get a consensus about what's important. And I think that oftentimes that's what's missing in our lives is um, we don't take time enough to sift through the facts to then get down to that meaning and how can we bridge the differences by, by understanding and walking in someone else's shoes. In the novel, there are at least three main characters, Sam Romero, the investigative attorney, Roy Griffin, the rogue executive, uh, Rebecca Schrieber, the reporter. Was it necessary for Roy to be a corporate executive, or could have he had still the same significance in the story if he was a different profession, per se? I, as much as I like and enjoy working with, with uh, corporate personnel, um, you know, these are, like most people, really good people, but there is something in, in our modern world about the anonymous institutions that a lot of us end up working with. And I think all of us have that experience at one point in our lives. And so there is a, a corrupting or um, challenging, morally challenging environment that a lot of us find ourselves in. And I think um, the corporate environment is a good um, place to kind of talk about the, the moral trade-offs. And it's certainly not the only place where it happens, but it's a, it's a nice microcosm of what's going on in our world. So a, a corporate CEO is, is I think, a vivid um, symbol of some of those moral challenges. And certainly our, the, the character that we have in our book is uh, somebody who's been on the dark side a lot. And, and so that was an interesting theme for us is was he redeemable and what would that involve? So that's a little bit of what our story is about. Because the characters are very well developed, what was the process like? What were a few characteristics that were necessary for you to include in each character? Well, we spent a couple of months really before we wrote anything in the book, um, uh, fleshing out our characters, who were they, what do they look like, what are their backgrounds. And it, they really became human and real and vivid to us. And so we were able to then, as we started writing, we knew what, who these people were, and it, was, it seemed kind of effortless to um, put ourselves in their shoes and see how they would, would, would behave and the things they would say. So it, it almost was like being a reporter uh, you know, of what's going on in your book. We, we obviously created an overarching plot, but then on a minute-by-minute minute basis, it was just like following these characters around and recording the things that they were saying and doing. Out of the main characters, which one, in your opinion, went through the most self-development transformation? Well, definitely the, the love interest of our protagonist, and it's Rebecca Schreiber. She's a journalist, a reporter, and she lives in Israel. And um, so I, you know, started this process thinking, as most men do, that I understood a lot about women. And I realized and learned in working with Aaliyah, 
is female, that that's <laughs> not the case. Um, so er, just about every contribution that I would make as a draft that would be uh, involving Rebecca, Aaliyah very patiently told me, no, women don't think that way, and they certainly don't act that way. And when she would show me these examples, and I would realize, you know, how true that was, and I could see the light. So it was a wonderful learning experience. I, I feel like I know a little more about uh, the feminine side of life now. And But working together in, in the, the romance part of this, because Sam meets Rebecca and they some sparks fly. Um, so having a, a, both a male and a female co-author, I think was really interesting and, and gave it some three-dimensionality and originality that meant a lot to me. When looking at Sam and Roy Griffin, one could possibly represent the light in the other darkness. Even though there's vulnerability on both sides of the spectrum, in your opinion, which character would be more vulnerable? Well, definitely Sam. And um, he is uh, somebody who's kind of waking up to the light. He's, he's a lawyer like, like me. So I was, uh, you know, to the extent I was writing about Sam, I was talking about some of my experiences and I think we're all nobody's either all in the light or in the dark we're all on a journey and so we go through some darkness and and as we're we're drawn to the light and um, so he's definitely um, struggling with some of those things and wanting to um, be a better person more spiritually centered um, part of his story is that he was uh, traveling with his mother as, at a young age and he was exposed to a lot of different um, cultures and, and um, spiritual traditions, and he's found it difficult to choose, as I think a lot of us in this modern world find. There's so much diversity out there of thought and opinion that um, it's, it's really nice to be exposed to that, but sometimes you feel like you wish you had a spiritual home. And so that's partly what Sam's journey is about. The Bond Scroll focuses on the world's greatest ancient mystery. How do you define mystery, and how was it decided upon that the focus would be on the treasure map and deciphering the symbols leading to their goal? Well, to us, a mystery is, is some circumstance. In this case, it's an artifact that was found in a Dead Sea cave about 70 years ago that isn't understood. And... Um, scholars and archaeologists and others can, can look at an item like this and figure out some things. In this case, it, it's a, an ancient treasure map um, believed to have been created in the first century AD. Um, but all of the treasure descriptions, and there's 60 in total, are vague and often metaphorical and don't seem to mean a whole lot when, when they were first studied. So this is a, just a, a classic mystery of you think you understand some of it, but you don't know what it means, and no one's been able to find the treasure. And it's um, been estimated to be uh, in the dozens of tons of treasure. And um, so it's something that we um, chose because we thought it was unsolvable, because that's what um, the scholars had said. And um, our characters uh, proved otherwise. They, as we were writing this, they seemed to have figured it out. What percent of the time was invested in researching this history? Because this reference is made to Jerusalem and, for example, the Great Revolt and references to the Romans. I'd say about a third of the time that we put in was research. Um, and frankly, that was the most fun 
part of this is is getting to learn something new. It's not something we usually most of us get to do in our jobs. We you know, in our work we we have a situation um, that uh, you know somebody needs us to put some attention in. So in this case, this was just working on something that was pure fun, and um, so we got to learn as the characters deciphered the copper scroll. Um, because they did, um, we got to read about the story and all of these facts and and stories tumbled out of this this document. Um, and it tells a story about a father and son who find themselves on the wrong sides as leaders in the Civil War and the the drama and tension and and frankly heartbreak that that came out of that. This is in the history books, by the way, but it wasn't known that this is what this artifact was telling. And there's quite a lot out of these 60 different treasure sites. And, and the metaphors all mean something particular at that time and place. By taking a step back, the overall book also uh, celebrates the unity, diversity, and the inclusion. Now, did the characters in the story already understand that concept? Or was it through the plot and the conflict they came to learn the beauty of diversity and inclusion? I think they all had an affinity in that direction, as, as hopefully we all do, but I think each of them learned a great deal about um, appreciating the differences be- between ourselves, um, and I think that's often what happens when, when we meet some, some new friends and, and others and have some good experiences and bad is how all that plays out, and um, one of the things that comes out of these adventures, and I think um, we all find in, in, in our lives today, is that those differences are really such strengths. And um, the more time that we get to be exposed to people who think differently or have different opinions, um, the, the more power that I think we get out of that. It's, it's certainly a, a good process and, and one that you can enjoy. During the writing process, what was the most challenging part of the process itself for you? Um, it sometimes was hard because it was so much fun to, to do the research and read all these stories that are, that are out there that, that oftentimes haven't been uh, fully uncovered. And so it sometimes was hard to get back to the writing because you can really, um, I wouldn't say get lost, but you can, you can get just too excited about uh, learning these things. That's so one of the things I didn't know before getting into this is how much remarkable progress archaeologists and historians have been making in just the last decade or two about all of our, our major stories in mythology and religion and, and history. Um, they, they've learned so much, and I think it's, it's a, a, a huge opportunity for people in the fiction world and, and, and similar things to go back through that and um, look at these stories with fresh eyes. And what I think I found was much more meaning than I ever knew there was in, in these ancient stories and in our uh, spiritual traditions. There's just an awful lot there that you can uh, glean, particularly with um, of some fresh eyes from the, the things the, the historians are finding. Because the novel also emphasizes miracles, what are the type of things in life that you constitute to be a miracle? Well, I would start with the Copper Scroll. This is a document that started out as an inventory because this was a process when there was a change at an administration, in this case the Jerusalem Temple, 
Um, that was uh, at that time it was a treasury for that that nation um, and uh, a place where budgetary decisions were made. And so if there there was a disturbance, in this case there was a revolt in the year um, AD 66. Um, so it looks like a, a treasury, an inventory of, of treasures, but really as uh, we dissected this it, with these metaphors, it's a peace message. And um, appears that the, the high priest that was in charge of this used this exercise as a way to, to make the point that a war would be catastrophic as it was. It led, led to a disaster. And it uh, appears from looking at these metaphors that it was telling a story um, using biblical sources to argue for peace. And it's, it's, it's actually quite moving and compelling when, when you look at it and, and in fact, what, what did happen. So um, those arguing for peace are always right, it seems. And I think this is a good symbol of that. And it's, it's, it's really something remarkable. There's also an underlying theme of spirituality. What is your relationship with spirituality, and how has it been sprinkled in the first book, The Bronze Scroll? I think that it starts with what I said earlier, which is that what I believe from my work is that truth is knowable. And the big reason, biggest reason that I got involved in this and working with Aaliyah was my personal journey to understand better what I think is spiritual truth. And um, this experience has really enhanced that. Um, I feel like by studying the past and studying the things that people have thought and believed in the past and, and reading that more, more closely, we can all, all of us can learn that. I certainly have. Um, there, there is much to be understood from the stories that we've gotten. I think that um, there's a reason all of our spiritual traditions are based around story. It's something that all of us can relate to and resonate. And the more that you go back and read these, every time you do, you get something more out of it. Um, so it, it does feel like a journey, and, and it's certainly been well worth the trip. When you started writing, did you know this novel would turn into unfold in the format of a series? Or by the time you got done, you felt, propelled to start writing book two? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, it's, I know from when I really enjoy a novel, I'm always disappointed at, at the end if it's not a series because you get to know the characters and um, you know, the story is very compelling and there's a, you know, all authors have a style. So that's what something that Lee and I really wanted to do is have the time and space to, to really tell a bigger story and have a lot of character development. Some, some characters will come and go. Um, but uh, I think it's a really good format to, to following the growth and, and um, uh, evolution of characters across a larger story. Because it's about 300 pages, how long did it take for you to write? Was this a year-long project or it just started small and became what it is today? It actually took about seven months, and each of us uh, took some time off from, from work, not entirely, but um, uh, reduced schedule so we could, we could make this work. And I think if, if it had just been one author, either her or me, writing, writing a book like this, it, it would have taken a year, year and a half. But there was, we really got into 
a, a synergy as, as we figured out how to work together. And um, it, it really just flew, um, uh, and we were able to write, I think, a lot, you know, in my opinion, much better, um, much more vivid story. And it, it just happened that it, that it went much more quickly, too, I think. For writers listening out there, <coughs> excuse me, what guidance and tips do you have during the writing, the draft process, proofreading? How many drafts were there before the final product was born? Um, we went on a chapter by chapter basis, and we would each contribute to it and weave it together and then edit it and then kind of move on to the next chapter. So when we got to the end of the book, there's still obviously an editing process, but it wasn't as rigorous as I think I usually read from people who talk about writing, um, uh, where you hold all that to the end. I think that's largely a function of having two, two co-authors, because as you're um, putting your, your, your stories together, that has to be an editing process. So I think a lot of that gets done along the way. So it's, a, I think, a very different process from <clears throat> being a solo author. Um, and um, as for you know, sharing anything with others who are writing, I would definitely emphasize having fun. Um, I think it, um, it, that's certainly been our experience, and uh, you know, I would hope that anyone doing this is, is enjoying it because it certainly can be an enjoyable process. Were there any chapters or other tangent storylines that you wanted to add, but they ended up being eliminated? Um, well, the characters um, find um, in the Copper Scroll two treasure site listings that clearly refer, in, in, in my view, to the legend of the Lost Ark. And so that created a window to, to really go off and tell some more about that and, and delve into it. And that's something that um, I've spent some time on because it's, it's certainly an interesting aspect. Uh, like what, what are these what are these legendary lost arcs doing on a on a copper scroll that that was found in a Dead Sea cave and why are there two of them? Um, so I, I've spent some time and, and have gotten fascinated by that, but um, it didn't belong in the the novel and it's something that obviously people are going to be skeptical about. It's a little like finding Bigfoot, um, and uh, so we didn't want to overwhelm our story with what seems to be a bit of a discovery. In your article interview with Creative Circle, you reference upon that uh, romance is also a pivotal ingredient to the story, romance is life. The book is also advertised in action and adventure and romance and adventure on Amazon.com. What aspect of romance humanizes uh, the characters, Sam and Rebecca? I don't know how anyone writes without an element of romance. It just seems to be an intrinsic part of, of the human experience. And that term to me is larger than, than just, uh, 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 you know, the, the a personal relationship with, with one person. I, I think every, every connection we have with others has some uh, magic to it. And I think that, that to me, the word romance just kind of refers to that magic of, of what it's like to share parts of your life with someone uh, in this case, Sam and Rebecca do have a romance, and um, it has a, a lot of that magic. And um, it's going to be interesting to see over the series how that plays out and how that 
weaves into the spiritual story as well because that connection between um, two people feels a lot like some of that quest for understanding about what we call the divine and and all of the traditions around that. It's certainly um, some meaning in our lives that I think we get out of all of those different relationships. Because the novel is also a mystery, how are you able to decide what degree of suspense needs to be situated throughout the story to make this being a, a page-turner? That's critically important. Uh, you, you really want to keep the pace, and having the reader wonder what's about to happen um, it, it is very important in all the different aspects of the novel so not just the adventure part but to be in some suspense about whether these two characters are going to have a good relationship Um, there's some conflict in the novel and efforts to resolve that and and with the rogue corporate executive he creates some drama and tension and hopefully some suspense as well Um, that's very important to us and um, now that the book's been published for a little while, we've each gone back and, and read through it. And it's interesting. You forget after a while some of the twists and turns. And we both have, have had some laughs about ourselves being in suspense about what's, what's going to happen next in this novel, even though we co-wrote it. Paul, as a writer, do you have any writing rituals that you adhere to, either because you believe it brings you good luck or it just sets the tone of a clean slate and you start writing? I, for years, have tried to meditate because everyone says it's, it's wonderful and I believe them, but it had always been, been difficult for me. And now that we've gone through this process, it's actually much easier. And I, it, I would compare spending a day or a half day writing to what happens in meditation. And as a result, with that extra level of focus and, and being able to step away a bit from the insanity of, of you know, the daily work life, um, it, I do now have a much better capacity for doing that. So I started incorporating that in my day at the beginning of the day before writing, um, taking a half hour or so and really just clearing your head and doing the various things that we call meditation. Um, and that really made a difference, I think, for me to have that calmness and focus and be able to just just put my attention on the characters and their story. For novice writers starting out, is there anything that you would like them to know about the publishing process? We made a decision um, partly because of what we view as the sensitivity of, of what we were doing um, to, to be independently published. So we, we did it ourselves. Um, we found some wonderful people at, at every level to, to, to do the copy editing, the, the book cover, and all the different things that go in, into a, a book. And so we certainly had that help. Um, I, I would say for people who want to focus on originality and they have something a little different out of the box, it's a great way to go. We may or may not do that with the rest of the series. We certainly understand and appreciate the value of working with, uh, with an, uh, an editor and with publishing houses, and so we're, we're looking at all of that. But it's, it's been a great experience being self-published and not having to 
um, potentially compromise or, or change some of what you're doing uh, and in some ways um, being able to bend some of the rules and, and not getting pushback was, was pretty liberating. And for the second book, is there anything you would like the audience to know for now? We are excited about it. Um, part of what we wanted to do with the series was be in exotic and interesting places that we'd like to go. And actually, I'm in uh, Cairo uh, now as I'm talking to you, so working on book two. And so it's, it's an indulgent adventure for us as authors um, to get to travel and be in a place and, and rather than just vacationing, I uh, was in a basement with some mummies today. Um, so yeah. the, the second book I think is going to be exciting and we've already seen some things that, that might be about our next mystery and, and maybe solving it. Um, so I, I, I think it's going to be uh, equally uh, exciting uh, of an adventure, and um, uh, we expect Sam and Rebecca to get back together and see where they, they go with their romance. That sounds exciting that you're in Cairo today. And Paul, you are more than welcome to share with audiences where they can contact you and Aliyah. Thank you. Um, so uh, we can be contacted by email, and that's um, for me, it's my first name, Paul, P-A-U-L, last dot, last name, D-O-N-S-B-A-C-H, at knightsofthelosttemple.com. That's also our website is knightsofthelosttemple.com, and that's the name of our series. Um, and, and if anyone's looking for the, the book itself, it's available at local bookstores, on Amazon, Google Books, and other online um, retailers. Thank you for joining us at Moon Mountains, Paul. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sasha. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> 